The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, It is very wet up here. Uh, Trying to find a a place for my notes, and um, uh, I I accept and embrace the challenge of of doing that. Um, So fun to have uh, student ministry team members and students leading us uh, in worship today. Um, you can clap. Thank you, Sarah. You can start that. Um, and if you were here for VBS, if you don't understand what that acronym means, it means Vacation Bible School. It's this annual thing. Uh, lots of fun, as you saw. Lots of really meaningful teaching and community formation, building and such. If you're relatively new to the church, or if maybe you've been just unplugged and disconnected for a while, um, those people are in the room right now, and I'm just going to ask those people, I'm just going to call an audible and ask those people who are involved in, in uh, student and kids ministry leadership to maybe just make yourselves available for the first few minutes after the service in case somebody wants to uh, get plugged in with the wonderful stuff that um, some of which you're sharing with us this morning. So, uh, so we're starting a new series today, and uh, uh, we're calling it Praying with the Psalms. And uh, I want to start this way first uh, and just acknowledge the Psalms are prayers. And prayer is one of the most difficult, mysterious, uh, sometimes stress-inducing aspects of what it means to, um, to live as a Christian. Prayer eludes us maybe more than any other thing. Um, and it's comforting, at least for me, to know that even Jesus' closest followers, the, the 12 disciples, struggled with prayer, so much so that they turned to Jesus one day and said, will you teach us how to pray? And that's where we got the Lord's Prayer. Um, but we also have 150 psalms. Uh, these are ancient poems written under the inspiration of God for the people of God to use as their own prayers. Both the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, this is really, really good news if you think about it, enable a child even or a brand new believer who's never read the Bible, never been to church, to pray perfectly, to be a world-class prayer if you use these as your prayers. Uh, So the series that we're doing uh, starting today, it's a seven-part series, and we're going to go through seven types of psalms or seven types of prayers. And what we'll discover is that the psalms as a whole uh, reflect and honor 
the full range of human emotion, the full range of human experience, of human struggle, of human joy and celebration, all of it. It's a treasure trove. There's seven types of psalms, and each week we'll focus on uh, an example of each type. Those would be the royal psalms, the messianic psalms, the imprecatory psalms, the thanksgiving psalms, the psalms of lament, the enthronement psalms, and today, the wisdom psalms. Now, if, if we were going to define the word wisdom with respect to prayer, we would best define it this way. Wisdom is how we would pray if we knew everything that God knows and if we saw everything that God sees. So probably every one of us at some point in our lives, the the youngest seasons of our lives, were taken in, really dragged in, forced into a doctor's office by our parents to get what they call well-child shots, you know, immunizations, etc., And you know, as a parent, this is an incredibly distressing experience for you if you've dragged a child in for that, because the child doesn't know what's going on. All they know is Nurse Ratchet is coming at them with a needle, and you're complicit because you're forcing them down on the table. And what's going on in reality, though, is you see the big picture. What, what, What the child interprets as injury and violence is actually a saving gesture, a protective, preemptive gesture to rescue the child from potential future devastating health problems. That's why we have immunizations and so on. So sometimes the wisdom prayers are like that because God asks us to pray some things that we are scared of. Wisdom prayers take courage because sometimes we're praying against our own feelings and against our own instincts because we trust the character of our Creator who gives us these words. It led even Jesus to pray in the garden as He was about to be crucified, not my will. Never, you know, I, I would love for this cup of suffering to be taken away. Nevertheless, not my will, Father, not as I feel right now, but Your will be done. And so there are three words that I'd like to camp out on today as we talk about, um, who am I kidding, as I talk about, um, the wisdom psalms. Three features, uh, realignment, rooting, and redeemer. Those are the three words. I, I don't do acronyms very often like my predecessor Wilson Benton did or alliteration, so savor it while you have it. Uh, realignment, rooting, and redeemer. So let's talk about realignment. There are two kinds of prayer. Uh, one is subject to error, and yet we're still invited to pray this way. It's, it's called the intercessory prayer. Uh, it's our answer to Jesus' question that he asked to the blind man and also to all of us. What do you want? What do you want? That's the intercessory prayer, our response to that question. The other kind of prayer is what you call formative prayer. It's the kind of prayer that forms us, that shapes us. It's given to us so that we can pray it back to That's part of why we have liturgy. That's why we have shared prayers that we do in our services that are, you know, time-tested, deeply rooted in, in biblical truth, because we want, to, we want to pray things that are given to us that will form us, right? Because God comes in as the potter and shapes us from the outside. 
So intercessory prayer is our answer to the question, what do you want? Formative prayer is our answer to the question, what does God want as we pray? You know, that's why Jesus says to his disciples, pray in this way. And and then the Lord's Prayer comes out, and all of the concerns of the Lord's Prayer are God-oriented concerns that have the effect of our greater flourishing. Okay? So, entering into formative or wisdom prayer, prayers that God gives us that we pray back to him, it, it, it reflects a humble acknowledgement that we are bent and we need to be straightened out by what's true and beautiful from God. We need realignment. We are unfinished and unformed. Therefore, like, uh, like clay, we need the potter to come in and, and shape us and turn the heat up and spin us around and apply water uh, and use his masterful hands to shape us into his likeness and into his image. And so that's, that's what a wisdom prayer is after. And, and the thing is, when, when we get into the habit of praying what God wants over time, the, the, the difference between our prayers about what God wants and what we want become indistinguishable. Okay? So, Psalm 1, it draws a contrast between what the psalmist calls the way of the wise and the way of the wicked. The way of the wise is, is when the law of the Lord, which is really an idiom, especially in, Old Test- in the Old Testament, the law of the Lord is really an idiom for all of Scripture. The law of the Lord becomes the source of delight, blessedness, and meditation. And it's contrasted here with the counsel of the wicked, which is also called the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. Uh, The word wicked, it has a bite to it. Uh, Maybe a slightly softer word that's synonymous with wicked is foolish. And foolishness is the antithesis or the opposite of wisdom. Foolishness is driven by project self. Wisdom is driven by project realignment of self. Two very different paths. So, some friends in the room uh, were telling me the other day about how their dog ate a sock. Their dog ate a sock. And it was probably a really pleasant experience, at least for a moment, until it became an unpleasant experience for the dog, and it led to an $8,000 surgery. Okay? And of course you think, well, now that the dog has had this experience, gone through this trauma, it's not going to happen again. And within a couple of weeks, it happened again. Ate another sock, and they got a discount on the next surgery, which was only 7000 And so now the, you know, the, the dad, the husband, and the, and the family is saying, you know, I think I need to go on YouTube uh, to see if I can find a do-it-yourself, you know, do surgery on your dog and get the sock out of, of their stomach thing because we can't keep dropping our kids' college tuition on, on this, right? And, and, you know, what compels us to keep going back to practices and ways of thinking that 
continue to injure us, continue to result in fruitlessness and pain. Did you know that when the Bible emphasizes you know, these two words, sound doctrine, if you go all the way back to the original language in the Greek, the word for sound in the original language is healthy. Sound doctrine equals healthy words around which to organize our thoughts, our words, and our living. But if we insist on remaining bent, it's like eating socks. It's not going to end well to swallow a sock. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 puts it this way. There is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but in the end that way seems, leads to death. That's the way of the fool or the way of, of wickedness. And, and sometimes the greatest wickedness that, that, that a wicked person perpetrates is toward his or herself. The law of God has this way of biting back you know, in the same way that you know, eating pizza for dinner every night eventually, as enjoyable as it is, bites back. It's not wise. So speaking of, of diets and what we put in our bodies, Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor, and if you're familiar with the message translation of the Bible, he's the one who did that whole translation all by himself. Um, but he's got this book, and the title is Eat This Book. And He's not literally asking the reader to eat that book. It's a metaphor, and it's a book about the Bible. The Bible is something not to be glanced at but gazed at. The Bible isn't something to snack on. It's something to devour. And so words in this psalm of wisdom are words like um, you know, meditating on the law day and night, delighting in the law of the Lord in the same way that maybe Many of you delight in Whole Foods, right? A lot of Whole Foods enthusiasts in a city like Nashville, also in a city like the one we came from 10 years ago, New York City. It's just, just you know, fitness is a core value to a lot of people. Whole Foods are a big thing. And even in this economy, you're willing to drop whatever kind of money you need to drop in order to eat clean and to eat healthy and, and to make your diet whole. And why do you do that? Why, do, why are people willing to make that sacrifice? Why are people willing to forego kind of the salty, fatty, processed, sugary stuff that's so delicious in the moment for a whole foods diet? It's because when you eat clean, the byproduct is a quality of being and a quality of living that's better. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, talked about the balanced diet with respect to how we eat God's book, how we consume God's book, how we get into Scripture so that Scripture can get into us, so that Christ can get into us, so that we can give Christ to those around us. So Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this question, and it's a good question to revisit. Do I take in the whole, there's that word again, the whole message of Scripture? Am I taking the whole counsel of God? Do I accept the teaching concerning the wrath of God as I do that concerning the love of God? Am I as ready to believe in the righteousness of God as in His mercy, in the justice and holiness of God as well as in His compassion and long-suffering? That is the question. The false believer or the wicked or the foolish mindset does not face all of Scripture. 
That person just picks, picks and chooses and, and prays accordingly what his or her flesh craves and ignores all the rest. It's a picking and choosing approach. So here's a good sign that we're praying well, that we are willing to open the Scriptures and ask God for the parts in there that make us uncomfortable, that we are hesitant to underline or to highlight, that that we'd love to look away from, that we wish were never written in there. And, and instead of looking away and turning away and picking and choosing, we, we, we pray the famous prayer to God, I believe, help my unbelief. Help, help me see how raw broccoli is good. Right? And there's a lot of Scripture that, that we metabolize as raw broccoli, but guess what? D- down the line, we realize, wait a minute, there, there's a healthy dynamic here that wouldn't have been there otherwise. You know, like, Lord, I've really been hurt. And you are so emphatic about forgiving and about loving our enemies and praying for those who injure us. May your will be done, Lord. Not my feelings, but your will be done. Show me what it's like. And, and I believe and help my unbelief, but show me what it's like to go there and help me to go there. That's just one example. Realignment. The second would be rooting. You know, love this imagery. I hope you do too. Uh, of the of the of the well rooted tree. You know, God doesn't just come in to correct us; He comes in to rebuild us and to restore us toward flourishing. He wants to rebuild us into sturdy, God shaped souls. It says in verse 4, the wicked are like chaff. So um, chaff is, is that part of a, of a wheat kernel that, that would be the skin, right? And so when, when the skin is sifted off of the rest of the wheat, it's sort of thrown to the side. And if you've got a, a pile of chaff, it's like a pile of seed skins. And it, even if the slight breeze, slightest breeze comes in, it just blows away and dissipates because it's light. It's hollow. It's not weighty. It says, wickedness is like chaff. The wind drives it away. This is an image of what it means to resist realignment with the whole will of God. Ephesians 4 verse 14 describes it this way, it's when we become blown about by every wind and wave of teaching. We're not rooted, we're not anchored in the sturdy truth that God has given us to anchor in. You know, Groucho Marx had this, um, had this short where he said this, and it's, it's just sort of a, you know, a dig at what it means to be human and, and sort of a, an acknowledgement of what it means to be human and inconsistent. He says, Groucho Marx does, I have many principles And if you don't like them, I have others. Isn't that us? Human chameleons. You know, one person in this environment, another person in that environment, another person in that environment. 
Because like, you know, Woody Allen's Leonard Zelig, we, we just want to be safe. We just want to be liked. And, and so we have no principles. And, and therefore, we have no anchor. We have no roots. But the wise, it says, are like that tree that's planted by streams. So imagine that God, His Word, Jesus Christ, is the stream. You know, I love you know, Aslan's words in, in C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. There is no other stream. There is no other stream. But let's just imagine for a moment being planted by the stream. And the roots deepen because they're nourished. And this is a tree that's in the desert that's being spoken about. So I don't know how many of you have seen a picture of a tree with uh, the dirt removed so that you can see what happens in the subterranean world. But most mature, developed trees, their roots are one and a half times longer than their branches are without ever being trimmed. And so what, what he's talking about here is to have a solid, invisible reality that drives the visible reality of the person that you become as you are formed through formative prayer and surrender. This is a flourishing tree in the middle of the desert. I love this this poem by Tolkien in in Lord of the Rings, where he essentially makes the point that extreme weather has no adverse effect on a well-rooted tree. He says, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not touched by frost. So the weather extremes, you know, to quote MC Hammer, can't touch this. You can't, I'm not going to start dancing with you or for you. But Spurgeon put it this way. A Bible, let's just say this is the stream. Because this is the stream that the psalm's talking about. There is no other stream. Spurgeon said this, A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So let that sink in. The tree metaphor is also important for those of us who get discouraged in those seasons that feel anticlimactic, that feel like we're not making progress in our character, that maybe feel like we've taken, you know, two steps back in that three steps forward, two steps back process of sanctification or of becoming like Christ. And we get discouraged. We get discouraged because it feels like forever since like real meaningful substantive fruit of character and and of spiritual riches and flourishing have, have flowed. And we miss that last season, which we don't know how long ago it was, of fruit bearing. Remember, I, I, I so appreciate, I hope you do too, the botanical metaphor here, because there's no such thing as a tree that bears fruit year-round. Every fruit-bearing tree has a season. And, you know, apples in the fall, right, uh, etc. Oranges, whenever oranges um, are in season. Blueberries, whenever blueberries are in season. You know this. Like you get your blueberries at Costco, you know that they taste a lot better during certain seasons than they do others. This is why. 
because they're, they're trying, you know, to be forced in seasons where, that aren't supposed to be the fruit-bearing seasons, but they're supposed to be the recovery and, and, and seasons of dormancy, which are also seasons of flourishing and health for the well-rooted tree. Even Jesus went through this dynamic. Have you ever read the words of Isaiah 53 that describe Jesus Christ, that anticipate his coming as the Savior of the world? Here's what it says. Listen to what it says about the suffering servant. Like a root out of dry ground, the Lord's servant had no form, majesty, or beauty that we should desire him. You know, Jesus came in triumph, of course, rose from the dead, walked on water, you know, fed thousands of people with a little bit of food. But most of Jesus' life was anticlimax. Most of his life was invisibility and ordinariness and preparation. Thirty years of, of quiet, faithful, formative living and praying before he launched his three-year public ministry, which also involved a lot of humiliation and a lot of rejection to go along with the spectacular moments that prove that he is God. So if it's true of Jesus, it's certainly going to be true of us. So I've got, I've got a screensaver that I pull out from my, my computer every now and then just to remind myself of a few things in retrospect. And the screensaver is a picture that was taken of me from that balcony right up there on Easter Sunday, a couple years ago, preaching to an empty room. And when your whole calling is, is about gathering people, you, you touring artists, you know this, or you, you venue people, you know this, it, it, it does a number on you to preach to an empty room on Easter Sunday in my line of work. But in retrospect, when I look back on that season that felt like anticlimax, it felt like the tree had been sawn down and uprooted. And, and yet when I look back, that is the season more than any other season in my life that the Psalms especially became precious to me and animated to me. Oh, two other things happened for our church. We planted a new congregation in the middle of the pandemic on Zoom. And it's now a thriving congregation meeting right now in North Nashville. They also have a 300, you know, a, a 365 day, 24 7 building. We were also able to get another one of our congregations in Cool Springs into their own facility during the pandemic, you guys. Those two years were the most two, two most generous years in our church's history. While the economy's tanking and everything else, and so I look back in retrospect and I see that empty room represents more than an empty room. It represents more than lost contact with the people that I call my family. It also represents God bearing fruit. And it represents what Bonhoeffer wrote from prison as he's awaiting execution for opposing Hitler. What may seem weak and trifling to us, Bonhoeffer said, might be great and magnificent to God. That's wisdom. If we were able to know and see everything that God does, we would know and see differently. All the more reason 
to be shaped and formed by his wisdom. Okay, running to the finish line, Redeemer. Psalm 1 tells us about a what. This is what it looks like to pray a wise prayer. But, but even more than telling us about a what, it tells us about a who. And there's a conundrum here because, you know, the righteous person is described. So all of you righteous people, raise your hand. Like self-aware people will not raise their hand to that invitation. You know, even the Psalms. This is strange, right? This, this one says, all you righteous people, pray this way. And then Psalm 14 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So which is it? Well, this is where Jesus, the Redeemer, resolves that tension. Psalm 32, here's another psalm, starts this way, blessed. There's that word again, blessed, happy, thriving, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and who, who the Lord will not count their sins against them. And so Jesus says, if you pray in my name, that word in my, those words in my say so much. I am in you. You are in me, which means that when you pray to God in my name, through me, according to my will, God receives you with the same level of love, affection, trust, support, and yeses as he receives me. In the eyes of God, there is no distinction between me and my people in terms of righteousness. You are clothed and covered and protected and defined by my righteousness, which brings us to the table. And here's our introduction to the Lord's Supper. Again, first and foremost, Psalm 1 is biography. It's about Jesus. It's about who he is. And and what he is, more than anything for us, is a stream of living water. He even defines himself in that way to the Samaritan woman at the well. His meditation and his delight was and is in the law of God. Matthew chapter 4, when, when, the, when the devil comes and tempts him three times, each and every time his response begins with the words, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know, my mentor, Tim Keller, loves to say this as much as he can. If you stabbed, if you poked Jesus, he would bleed Scripture. And that's exactly what, he, what happened when, when, when his hands and his feet were stabbed and pierced. He bled, and as he bled, these words came out of his mouth. Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sturdiest soul to ever live voluntarily became like chaff and was blown away so that you and I could start building deep roots that are not touched by frost and that will not dry out in the desert. To strengthen us for the journey, we're given nourishment in the form of the body and the blood of Christ. And so what I'd like to do is invite uh, communion servers to make your way to the table to, to serve the family of God. And uh, I want to invite us to consider Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed took bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, This is a feast for the people of God. And what I want to do, I want to carry this metaphor from Psalm 1 a little bit further uh, just for our consideration as we approach the table. Uh, And that is, hey, Austin, you going to serve us, buddy? How about, how about you go with uh, Josiah and Brittany? Thanks, bud. It's my friend Austin, my other friend Jimmy, my other friend Mac. We look forward to serving the church, don't we, bud? Amen, buddy. Yes, sir. All right. So think of communion this way. Every time, think about reseeding, you know, a landscape. You know, every landscape needs reseeding to flourish and thrive. Every time you come to communion, it's like you're reseeding your soul. You're dropping the seed of God's goodness and of God's righteousness and of God's truth and of God's beauty into your body and into your soul in the form of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ himself to nourish you with the holest food that that, that has ever existed so that Christ can make you whole. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, would you set apart this bread and this cup, these ordinary elements, and do extraordinary things with us, body and soul, as we once again acknowledge that we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to be nourished physically. We want to be nourished communally uh, as we do this together. We want to be nourished by the truth that we are covered and clothed by faith in the righteousness and beauty and perfection and wholeness of Jesus Christ. So teach us and nourish us to live into that wholeness now, we pray in your name. Amen.